Welcome to the Right to the Streets edition of the GM Moving podcast. Join the conversation about what makes our streets, parks and public spaces joyful, welcoming places for people to be and to be active. Join me, Eve Holt, strategic leader at Greater Sport, on the journey around the streets as we explore people's freedom to move about without fear. In each episode, we hear about the roles we can all play to make where we live, work and play places where all women and girls feel they belong and are invited to be active. We gather stories, experiences and ideas as we speak to strategic leaders, decision makers and lots of local people who are creating the conditions in place for everyday moving and active lives for all. In this episode, we explore active travel. This means all journeys that are walked, wheeled or cycled to include people travelling by wheelchair, scooter, pushchair, e-bike and other mobility aids. Each year in Greater Manchester, we make millions of short journeys by car. Greater Manchester's goal is to make active travel the natural choice for as many of these short trips as possible. In this episode, we explore the links between active travel and trips by public transport as we seek to make journeys to and from bus, tram and train stops safer and more inviting for all. We know that congestion currently costs Greater Manchester £1.3 billion each year. Air pollution contributes to about 1,200 premature deaths each year, whilst one in six premature deaths are also linked to inactive sedentary lives. More than two-thirds of people in Greater Manchester say that they would walk and cycle more often if they felt safer. This is especially true of women and girls. We hear what an incredible opportunity there is in Greater Manchester to enable people to move freely each day across our city region. And we hear of some of the projects, initiatives and investment that can help us realise the future that is possible. So, coming up, you'll hear from two key leaders – Hi, I'm Sarah Storey. I'm Greater Manchester's Active Travel Commissioner. I'm Vernon Everett, the Transport Commissioner for Greater Manchester. Who are all contributing to strategies. And the whole philosophy behind the B Network is that we provide a safe, reliable, welcoming, customer-focused public transport and active travel offer to give people a viable alternative, a safe, viable, affordable alternative to unnecessary car journeys. And campaigns. We have a campaign currently, uh, drivers look three times at junctions, um, look far, look near, look nearer. The idea that you need to look properly, you need to check three times to make sure that your eyes haven't deceived you, because quite often there'll be uh, a situation where someone really didn't believe they'd seen that person. To help us get more safe public transport and active travel across Greater Manchester. But first, let's head to Old Trafford to hear from members of the community about their experiences of walking, wheeling and cycling in the local area. We've been invited by our Right to the Streets project partners, Open Data Manchester, or ODM as we like to call them, to listen in on one of their walkabout workshops. These walkabouts are a series of organised walks around the North Trafford area, which took place in early 2023 as part of this project. The aim is to gather first-hand, real-time information from women and girls and those who identify as trans or non-binary from all walks of life, professions and backgrounds who live or work in the area. 
Using maps and prompts, the participants share their thoughts and unique perspectives of the community, whether that be areas that they deem unsafe, pockets of the locality where they've experienced problems, or places they find joyful. The insight gathered from the walkabouts is then being compared and combined with other information we have about the local area, such as policing and crime statistics, to create a much richer picture of people's lived experiences locally, which can then inform action to make streets more inclusive and welcoming. And so, that's where you join us now, outside a large building on the edge of Old Trafford, for an open day to Manchester walkabout. Here to host the walkabout are Priska and Toybat. They're user researchers and community engagement workers at ODM. Also here to join in the walkabout fun is Emma, a policy officer at Trafford Council. Hi, I'm Emma. I'm Emma's been helping us out lots as part of the Right to the Streets project. Hi, I'm Marie. And we've got Marie, who works in the innovation team at Transport for Greater Manchester. Marie has helped to develop a gender equality in transport toolkit that's been presented to transport professionals across the world. Hi, I'm Jane Bethard. Then there's Jane. Jane's a lawyer at Lee Day. She looks after injured cyclists and road users. She's also a part of Team Glow, a local women's cycling network based in Greater Manchester, and she lives locally. And finally, Eleanor. Eleanor's the Public Health Director at Trafford Council and a keen cyclist. We'll also be hearing more from Eleanor in our public health episode. The walkabout starts with a workshop-style experiential mapping session. Today's group discussion happens in the training room in Trafford Wellbeing Centre. An ODM has sprawled the tables with maps, coloured pens, post-it notes, and everyone's excited to get stuck in. The mapping session, facilitated by the lovely Toybat and Priska, is a starting point of the walkabout. Hello everyone, I'm Tybat and this is Priska. We're from Open Data Manchester and we're going to be running the experiential mapping session today. Um, so as part of the Right to the Streets um, project, we're doing these mapping sessions to, to map out where you guys kind of go, your experiences, how you feel in order to make places more welcoming and safer for women and girls. Um, so like into the session, basically we're going to begin with asking these three questions. I'm going to be noting down things that you say on the post-its and then we're going to move on to these maps where we'll map out routes that we either take often, avoid, point out places that we enjoy and like, vice versa. Um, And then we'll like kind of look at what route we want to take on the walkabout after and then we can come back and kind of reflect on the walk we took and how we feel and stuff. So I'm going to hand over to Prisco who's going to be asking the questions. So the basis of this discussion centres around a series of questions, such as what makes you feel safe or unsafe in your area? And what makes you feel like you can or can't be active in your area? That's where Jane shares a story about an experience she's had with a car and its driver. Parking in a cycle lane and on, and on the pavement and I had to deviate my path and so did other cyclists just because this guy felt it was his entitlement to park where he parked. And it was on the New Chilton Cycle Highway. And I said, just because your hazards are on doesn't make this OK. And he was, I'm delivering. And I was like, but you're able-bodied, so you could park further away. And he didn't really have any answer to that. But as he was doing that, two cyclists had to deviate what they were doing and go into the main carriageway out of the cycle lane. And I had to move furthest into the pavement. And then when it's dark, 
that sort of thing. I don't like, I always work on the edge of the pavement so that I'm more visible to people around me. I have this fear of being pulled off the pavement, basically, you know, by someone in a hedge or something like that. But equally, there's, if a pavement is blocked and you have to walk in the road and if it's dark, that's really dangerous because you're not as visible. You know, there's this, I, I know. And then it's time to get the maps out. One of the most interesting parts of the workshop where we can actually pinpoint locations and most importantly, where we want to walk today. I head over to Emma and Marie and ask them what the things that make them feel they belong in a space and where they feel welcome and joyful. I think having an area which is kind of open and inviting infrastructure-wise, so if there is infrastructure which makes you want to, say, cycle or walk, then that immediately would make me think of active travel for those um, journeys in places where it's maybe more of a hostile pedestrian or kind of cycling environment I, I don't think I'd be too tempted to unless I saw other people doing it as well I think it's always like safety in numbers helps as well yeah I'd say for me it's definitely somewhere that feels like it'd be a nice walk and there's lots of people around and it's kind of like well lit and bustling with like businesses and a variety of people around that would definitely feel welcoming if you have a square for example what activities can you do in that square that is not just like sitting there or passing through it so giving communities the opportunity to make that space their own and then inviting them into it in different ways or forms whether it be a meeting point for the start of say like a a club or a group or just a a nice place to sit hang out (laughs) so that they're not kind of congregating in areas which like street corners that sort of thing and across all age groups as well. Yeah, I think it's a big problem that it's individualised and it's put on the active traveller themselves to kind of make good decisions and rather than it should be on the government, it should be on the council, it should be on the perpetrators of any crimes that might be happening and that's where the owner should be rather than victim blaming if things go wrong or putting all this pressure on people to make good decisions when there isn't necessarily a good route available to them. So coming to you, Eleanor, like why, why does it matter? Why should we create you know, safe, joyful, active travel routes for everyone? It's not good for us to be physically, you know, to be stationary all the time. We need to move around. And one of the easiest ways to get people to move around is by getting people to walk and cycle more. And the fresh air, the exercise, it's so good for our physical health and it's really, really good for our mental health. But it's not good for our mental health if we're feeling stressed or anxious. And we know as well that the way we've laid out our streets at the moment, there are some people that it makes it much, much more difficult to use those streets. So if you've got cars parked on the pavement, it can make it really difficult for anyone pushing a pushchair or somebody using a wheelchair or walking aid to actually walk and leave their house safely without having to walk onto the road, which becomes really dangerous. There's been studies as well showing that parents don't want their children to walk to school because they're worried about that park car, the parked cars on the pavements. If you're cycling past a parked car, you're really worried about whether the door's going to open on you. So we've allowed people to use cars in a way that really is very antisocial. And actually the majority of people aren't drivers most of the time. Most of us are walking most of the time. Um, and it could be much more fun. It could be much nicer to be walking 
it's the way that we've designed our cities and the way we've allowed cars to really dominate. And it's not good for our health, physical or mentally. Go on then, big question. How do we change that narrative? So we've been sold this idea that the car gives us freedom and independence and it's somehow most pro-social, whereas actually we know that, that one, it's not available to everyone and actually just as you described, that's, that's not true. It's impacting on our health and the health of the population and, you know, extreme end, it causes one in six deaths, doesn't it? You know, the fact that we're inactive all the time. So how do we shift that narrative and help people to see that, you know, walking actually is a great way for us to be more independent and have that freedom I think we have to tie it in to I think it is about the messaging and it is that freedom and it's making sure that people understand that the more of us that walk the better maintain the streets are the safer it becomes particularly with good street lighting but also we are an aging society we're going to be if we're not physically active we're going to age worse we're going to have worse problems in old age as we get older many of us will find that we have eyesight problems and other things that mean that our sight is limited and that we can't actually drive anymore so it is really important that we we start thinking about how do we future proof the city for an aging population and how do we make sure that it's something you know and absolutely i i really think that public transport is a really really important element of this so it's making sure that we've got good public transport we've got good bus routes we've got good tram routes and that we give priority to our public transport because actually people are very tolerant about being stuck bizarrely tolerant of being stuck in cars in traffic much less tolerant of being in a delayed bus or train but we do have to make sure that our roads are clear enough for people to cycle down them people to be in the bus and the bus to go at a reasonable speed and to go where we want it to go so not just into the centre of town but actually those orbital routes that many many people want to take Um, and we also need to really I think with e-bikes it's a real um, eye-opener to me how many more people particularly as they get older are really absolutely loving the freedom that an e-bike or an e-cargo bike gives and once you get people out on those things you know there's a reason why cyclists are the happiest commuters you know it's that freedom that independence and that being in the fresh air and being part of even in a big city you're feeling part much more part of nature and much more attuned to the seasons and and understanding of the weather when you're out on a bike or out walking and a bike is the perfect way to get to know a new place as well because you're going at a really good speed you're going fast enough that if you make a mistake it's not a half hour detour but you're going slow enough that you can really enjoy your environment and your surroundings and e-bikes are definitely having a real giving I know a number of people who are retiring and buying bikes, e-bikes, and it's giving them a whole new lease of life and a new way of understanding their city. It's so liberating. Jane comes over and points the Trafford Bar tram stop on the map and explains her trepidation when she finds herself getting off the tram there in the dark. Looking at this map now, when I've got off there, I've just felt lost and I've not known where, which direction I'm meant to even go in to get home. And if it's dark, this road here, which is Seymour Grove, which actually just is straight into Chalton, and I didn't realise. But when you get off the road, get off the tram and you look, it just looks like this dark, long road um, that feels really isolated. There's no one around. So I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even hesitate. I would literally just get an Uber and go home. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even think about, well, can I get a bus down here? I wouldn't, you know. So I think what would make me feel safer is if I got off here, the lighting would be better um, and that there would be some sort of 
signposting around just needs to be a road sign almost that just sort of says this is the direction of this area this direction of this area this is where you can get public transport um because i think then more people would do that and then there'd be more people waiting at the bus stop that you're going to wait at the bus stop for um and that sort of thing because in some places you know the wayfinding also tells you doesn't it how long it might take you Mm. would that make a difference if if you also had not the direction but also some sense of how long that's probably going to take you to get there yeah if this if i got off here and it said it will take you 10 minutes to walk to north chalton then i would or furswood you know that sort of thing then i would immediately go okay i'm gonna take i'm gonna take that risk almost but you know like i'm gonna walk that because i know that once i get into an area that i know i'm immediately gonna feel safer anyway so in terms of that sort of like walking after dark with you know vis-a-vis public transport that's that would make me feel a lot safer um and then in terms of like cycling um this this is my commute this bit on Upper Chorton Road. I mean, I know it's not in North Trafford, but it's on the map. <laughs> um, and this junction here, which is the Brooks Bar Junction, I think, um, is getting better because of all the infrastructure that's being built around it at the moment. But right turning onto Upper Chorton Road off Chorton Road has been a bit scary. So to have it dedicated infrastructure that basically you don't have to think too much about it like you literally just follow what it tells you to do and then you're kind of i feel like it's baked in safety (laughs) when that infrastructure is going to be set up and all the separated cycling infrastructure that's now in place along these roads has massively improved the quality of my commute at least so you walked here today didn't you so i guess is there anything how did you plan your journey to walk here and what things would you kind of purposely go out of your way to walk past or to and what things would you avoid so because it's daytime I haven't made a huge amount of effort to avoid particular points I was quite happy when I looked on I looked on google maps and worked out like just you know figured out the route um but I was happy that it was straight down one road effectively because it, it was Barlow Moor, Manchester Road and then Seymour Road, uh, Grove and I like that there wasn't a load of like different turnings to make or to try and remember which way I was going. Um, I felt very straightforward. But on the actual walk, I did encounter quite a lot of some antisocial pavement parking that affected my experience of walking. There was quite a lot of long waits at traffic lights, um, which made me worry I was going to be a bit late because I, you know, I didn't factor in the long waits at traffic lights. Um, noticed some poor driving, that sort of thing. Um, but it was particularly pleasant walking down Seymour Grove after Chawton because the pavement's really wide and there wasn't actually a lot of pavement parking to contend with, unlike the centre of Chawton, which was worse, basically. After the mapping workshop, it's time to head outside onto the streets of Old Trafford and experience firsthand some of the things we've just been talking about. Along the way, we stopped to chat to Sophie, a local resident who's joined us for the walk, and she explains why walking around the area is limited to certain seasons. So most of the time I'll go, probably most mornings, I'll get out early, I'll go with my husband to to Trafford Park, he'll drop me off and I walk back along the canal and it's amazing, There's, there's other people, the wildlife, everything that you see, it's really, really nice to walk along there. And I can make that route sort of half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour, however much time I've got, and then be back at home to start work, you know, before the day. And I've done all my exercise and I feel really good. 
But then it comes to the winter and, and the mornings are dark and I just, I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe at all walking along there. It's dark, there's not as many people and it, it yeah, that's it. Just that, that bit of exercise stops. And is there anything that you think you could point to that has led to you feeling unsafe? You know, is that stuff that you've heard, stuff that you've seen? Where does that, where does that feeling of not being safe come from? I think it's... I think it's probably just growing up, you know, living in sort of the centre of Manchester and hearing, you know, different things that have happened to other people in areas that are dark and not well lit. You know, as as a woman who who goes out on my own, I don't want to put myself in the kind of situation where, you know, something might happen to me. So I, I don't. I make sure that it's light and that there are other people around so nothing has ever happened in particular but yeah it's just a feeling of looking after myself I suppose and when you stop so you stop doing that walk so do you find other ways to be active or does that just stop in your life I mean if the weather's nice then I'll, I'll tend to get the bike out so I'll, I'll cycle um, but not along the canal again I think it's just too dark it's not well lit enough um, but when it's when the weather's nasty, I, I don't. I just don't exercise in the winter. We walk further up the road en masse and stop by Trafford Bar tram station. I'm just curious because you've talked before, Jane, about getting off at Trafford Bar mm. and it being a place in particular that you don't feel like you then know where to go and how helpful signposting, wayfinding. And I, I don't know what it is, but it is disorientating. Cause, like, I know this area really well and I know I could go to a Janice Road and get home. But it still is somewhere that I don't off that I do get a bit disorientated, and maybe it is because there's busy traffic. Yeah. I often feel like if I'm on my bike, I feel like I have to go with the flow. It's somewhere that I find quite hard to maybe do what I want to do because I don't really trust. Like it's really hard to do a right-hand turn there off. Um, is that Chester Road? What's that road? Talbot is that part road. of Talbot, Talbot Road? Off Talbot Road onto Seymour Grove. Um, but yeah, the things that help give you a really clear reminder of this is where you are this is the direction you want to head in which signposts just some of that but it's also just landmarks aren't there yeah. quite some really visible landmarks help you orientate the longer yourself. I've lived here the more I'm familiar with that B being a landmark actually over there I know oh yeah this is by the by the Trafford Bar tram stop but it's only taken me in the last sort of year to kind of figure that out and I didn't realise there was a barrel bike stop yeah. and I actually think now I'm thinking actually if I did find myself having to get off here before getting to Chawton, I might just use a barrel bike, like carefully on the pavement to get into Chawton because I know that there's places to there's docks in Chawton where I could leave the bike instead of having to get an Uber or. But also now I feel like I might now I've joined it up because I've walked. I might actually feel able to just walk down Seymour Grove to get home. I guess if you've done that generally at in the night yeah. and dark yeah because I've had the same thought it's great seeing all the barrel bikes there because it's a yeah. perfect example isn't it yeah. it's a great road to get off a tram stop yeah. and then be able to get on the bike and go along well, it's yeah. quite a long road but yeah. it is quite a long straight road but the home is really wide <laughs> as well so I actually didn't mind walking down Seymour Grove because I know that and I actually think I could safely ride a barrel bike I know you're not meant to ride on the pavement but if I'm just slowly going down I feel safe doing that than walking and just do it on the pavement so I'm out of the way of traffic 
we finally make our way up to the town hall on Talbot Road and observe how community, buildings, presence of shops and housing can all impact on our feeling of safety. It would make this road less impactful, but I know it's a, it's a main thoroughfare, isn't it, for accessing this, this area from city centre, I guess, is it? Like yeah, then, it is, it is yeah. a main thoroughfare. But I think it's it's also got lots of big buildings. There's yeah. no sort of small shops that you, no. you, you, that break it up so that you can, yeah. I don't know, see other people in, in and out of shops and in and out of, I don't know, bars and cafes. I think that kind of thing would help. It's not very green. I know that it's winter, but it's it doesn't not. Feel like there's any community around here actually. I think that's. Yeah, it doesn't feel like there's anyone that's actually local to here. It just feels like this is sort of office space. I know that's got apartments over there, but again, you can't really see people. That looks more like a business to me. Emma, Marie, and a new voice to this conversation, Imogen, who works with me at Greater Sport, explain how the design of roads and building sites can also leave them feeling unsafe. I only know it's there because I've been to that stop before. And it is kind of quite a nice pedestrian route down to it. Like, you know, it's a wide footway and the the bit um, going up to the Metrolink stop. But, yeah, there's a tiny sign I can see over there, but it could definitely be more impactful. These crossings are really terrible and it's really annoying trying to cross the road. When you, I walk down this street and then I get, like, here and I have to get over there because the cars don't stop even when they're meant to. And they, you can tell that people are annoyed to have to stop for you. So, yeah, I often get slightly run over. Agreed. I mean, <laughs> not knowing the area very well as well. I remember the first time I came across this bit and it just took a while to figure out like which bits you were actually meant to cross at or which bits you were allowed to cross at to get to the other side. Um, so yeah, I imagine a bit of a nightmare for local residents. I mean, there's not really much they could do about my issues, but this is where I got off to go to my gym and then walk up this way. And there's so many like construction sites that aren't very well signposted or particularly well lit at night. And I think when you get up there, there's like an apartment building with loads of overgrown bushes and then you get around the corner and there's more abandoned buildings so it's just places where you feel like as a woman I'll kind of have to walk further into the road away from these places to feel a little bit safer and particularly down there like I've walked that at night on my own and there's been sort of people kind of hanging around and I don't know you don't feel protected you don't feel like there's anyone around if anything happened even the uni is sort of set back behind gates so it's a little bit isolating I don't know what I could do about it though. I once saw a man peeing in the garden over there as well, which was very... It was in December, it must have been freezing. I don't know what he was doing. (laughs) I really wanted to shout at him, but I was on my own, so I was like, maybe don't shout at the man. (laughs) What a fantastic snapshot. Real time of real experiences from women who walk, wheel and cycle on these streets every day. The next time you go out, can you pinpoint the areas, places or spots where you feel safe or unsafe? What are their characteristics? Is it a wide, green, well-lit street? Or perhaps a confusing pedestrian crossing or a dark alleyway? You can share your experience with us for this series and we'll tell you how to do that at the end of this episode. So from the outside to the inside, we've heard firsthand from people who are experiencing our streets. So what about the decision makers who have a role to play to create changes, strategies and campaigns to improve the way we get about? Next, I chat to Greater Manchester's Commissioner for Active Travel. Hi, I'm Sarah Storey. I'm Greater Manchester's Active Travel Commissioner. 
I work alongside our transport commissioner, Vernon Everett, who is focusing on the public transport side of the B network. And he and I work in collaboration to make sure that the active travel network, which is for walking, wheeling and cycling, links in as seamlessly as possible to our public transport hubs, be that a bus, a tram or a train. Dame Sarah Story is one of Britain's most successful Paralympic champions of all time. She was appointed Dame in 2013 for her service to paracycling. In 2019, she was then appointed the first active travel commissioner for Sheffield City Region. She moved to Greater Manchester in May 2022 to become the region's second active travel commissioner, taking over from Chris Boardman. Greater Manchester's Commissioner for Public Transport is also joining us online. I'm Vernon Everett. I'm the Transport Commissioner for Greater Manchester and I work with the Mayor, uh, Dame Sarah, as Active Travel Commissioner and the Combined Authority to introduce the B Network to Greater Manchester, which is the integrated public transport and active travel network, which is really going to revolutionise what it's like to move uh, across this region. Vernon joined Transport for Greater Manchester in May 2022, having previously been at Transport for London for over 14 years. Vernon works very closely with Sarah on the Integrated B Network, a joined-up strategy that will integrate public transport and active travel to serve the 3 million people who live across Greater Manchester, including the thousands of businesses that operate in the city region. I kick off by asking Vernon... Why does safety and our transport feeling welcoming and joyful matter on this agenda? It's absolutely essential. If people don't feel safe and if people aren't actually safe, then we don't stand much chance of being able to persuade people to use us over uh, their private vehicles. And the whole philosophy behind the B network is that we provide a safe reliable, welcoming, customer-focused public transport and active travel offer to give people a viable alternative, a safe, viable, affordable alternative to unnecessary car journeys. And without safety and without feeling safe, we don't stand much chance of being able to deliver that. But it's absolutely vital that people feel and are safe on their journeys. And this applies particularly to women and young girls. And we know from all of our research that women in particular feel less safe when undertaking journeys on public transport. And we're working really, really hard to design in safety from the very beginning so that we can actually make some progress to improve perceptions of safety and also to be proactive in communicating to men and young boys and others in the community about what they need to do in order to to help improve those perceptions of safety. And whose role is it to address those issues? I think that's a complex question. Crime and antisocial behaviour isn't limited to transport networks. It's a societal thing. But it all really comes together, doesn't it? on public transport when you're in close proximity to people and you observe things when you're on a tram or you're on a bus or you're on a train. So I think it's a shared obligation. It's it's an obligation on our part as public transport operators to design in safety where they can feel confident that there's a guiding mind and that people are proactive in looking out for their safety. 
And things like the Greater Manchester Travel Safe Partnership are great examples of this. The Travel Safe Partnership brings together Transport for Greater Manchester, the Greater Manchester Police, and lots of other partners and charities, Foundation 92, for example, who all come together to play their part in making things actually safe and improving perceptions of safety. And that's a combination of prevention. So Foundation 92 is a great example, actually, which goes around particularly public transport interchanges to engage with younger people about how their behaviour can make other people feel particularly unsettled when they're travelling on public transport. We're working very closely with Greater Manchester Police, again on a preventative, but it's part prevention, part enforcement, actually, which is Operation Avro, which is where we actually flood the network with police officers and others, including revenue inspectors from Metrolink and, and elsewhere. We literally flood the network to send that message to everybody who's a public transport user that we care. We care about safety. We care about their ability to report crime and antisocial behaviour and to give them confidence that we'll act upon it. Greater Manchester Police has a live chat facility where people can discreetly report crime and antisocial behaviour. So there's a whole combination of prevention, enforcement and taking action against perpetrators when they are caught. Crime as measured by the number of incidents per million journeys is actually coming down. And I think that is testament to all of the hard work that's going across all agencies to try and improve things. But it is very important that when there are incidents, they're properly followed up and the perpetrators are brought to justice. The obligation rests with us as authorities, with the law enforcement community, with third sector who can help reach out into schools and, and other public places to communicate what it's like to be a good user or, or what you should do to be a good user of public transport. And there's an obligation on our customers, of course. The overwhelming majority of our customers simply want to make a journey and they want to make it safely and straightforwardly. And we need to help them. There's a small minority of people who, who commit crime and antisocial behaviour, but fundamentally we've all got to look out for each other. And men and boys in particular have got to ask themselves the question, as I do, so I'm really inviting them to join me really in thinking about what can I do to make women and young girls feel safer when they're undertaking their journeys. So lots of great examples of the different roles people can play there to help us create this yeah, 24-7 active, sustainable, integrated transport. So active travel has been high on the agenda in Greater Manchester in this. Why does safety, and particularly for women and girls, matter to you? Not feeling safe is one of the biggest barriers to people, uh, women in particular, not taking a journey on a bike on foot. And therefore, if they're not on a bike or on foot, they're unlikely to be accessing a public transport hub, whether that's a, you know, a bus stop or a tram station or a, a railway station. And that means that they're more likely to be in a vehicle that will then contribute to congestion. So we, it's about making sure people are safe on their journeys to and from public transport, as well as on that actual bus, on that actual tram. And that's where this is a, a multifaceted approach, or it has to be, because some of the people making those journeys and 
I am an example of that, live outside of Greater Manchester. So one of the biggest challenges then is how do they work with Cheshire Police and what's happening in the, the location that I may get off the train or the bus uh, and the, the walk back from where that is to where I live. And obviously, if we're talking about after dark, certain times of the year, it's going to be darker for longer. So that's when it really is, you know, very stark, just how many people do feel unsafe. But it's not just about safety when you're walking. It's also about how safe do you feel taking that cycle journey and the behaviour of people in vehicles is is a huge problem. So whether that's, you know, somebody being unpleasant from the window of a vehicle we've heard you know horrible stories about people with their passengers who have tried to you know throw things at people who are on bikes but also the the close pass and operation close pass is something that greater manchester police are now actively seeking a a solution to deliver because it's one that's very much needed especially on the busiest of roads where there's that must get in front approach from many drivers and, and actually the, the person cycling is often going as quick or could go quicker than that traffic and um, it's really important to recognise that a person on a bike has just as much right to make their journey safely as, as you do in your car. And when it comes to active travel we know the data as well as the stories tell us there's a big gap isn't there in terms of number of women who actually are currently particularly cycling lots of women do walk and wheel have you got anything in terms of the data and and the insight you know what's the size of that gap for us in greater manchester and what's the potential to close that well two-thirds of women cite safety as the reason why they're not cycling currently or why they're not undertaking journeys on a bike so where you see a segregated network being developed you're more likely to see women cycling and certainly if you go onto any of the off-road routes like the Floop or like the Greenway in Swinton or Road Green in Walkden, you'll see more women on their bikes because they're away from the traffic. If you're talking about sharing that space with vehicles, even even in bus lanes, you're unlikely to see that there'll be there'll be much uptake. And we only have to look at the the stats that are coming out from London to see that where there is that segregated space, you have a, a much better balance between men and women as to who will take those journeys, those short journeys. And we're not talking about, you know, the, the a 15-mile journey from outside of Greater Manchester into the urban centre. We're talking about journeys, you know, up to five to ten miles at the absolute most and maybe slightly longer if you, you have access to an e-bike. But most of the journeys that we can talk about with regards to cycling are to and from public transport hubs and making sure that people have the facilities that they need at those hubs for cycle parking. And it's as much about safety around cycle parking in the same way if you're parking a vehicle, you'll choose the the, the vehicle parking um, location according to how safe that feels. So it's exactly the same decisions that people have to make for active travel, but they also have those additional considerations when they're not inside a metal box. What about your experiences as a woman cycling around Greater Manchester? Certainly it's a challenge. You know, the the weather is a huge, hugely off-putting, not least because you feel like you're not very well seen, even if you're brightly lit, you know, that there's that sorry mate, I didn't see you excuse. And having been hit by the driver of a vehicle on a roundabout in West Horton back in 2006, that lives with me. It haunts me, actually, the idea that somebody would not look properly going through a junction or on a roundabout. So we have a campaign currently. Uh, drivers look three times at junctions. Um, look far, look near, look nearer, I think is the slogan. And the idea that you need to look properly, you need to check three times to make sure that your eyes haven't deceived you. 
because quite often there'll be a situation where someone really didn't believe they'd seen that person, but that person was as bright as day, lit up like a Christmas tree is kind of the way that we often describe ourselves as a person on a bike. But that's one of the biggest fears you have of someone swiping you and you are, you know, you're on two or three wheels, you have no protection and it's a two-ton metal box. And the feeling of that two-ton metal box on your hip, my goodness, it will live with me to my grave. And women potentially are some of the bigger users, aren't they, of our public transport? They're less likely to, to have a car. Women more likely to live for longer and more likely to be dependent as we're older on public transport and on, on walking in particular and using mobility aids. So there is a whole kind of gendered perspective as well on actually use and our journeys. Anything you want to add or anything that you're learning, Vernon, around that, around the kind of gendered lens on our transport and our journeys? I think to communicate this effectively, you have to show real commitment as an organisation to designing this in from the very beginning. And that's one of the reasons I'm so pleased that Transport for Greater Manchester have recently become White Ribbon accredited. As you know, White Ribbon is the UK's leading, leading charity, which encourages men and boys to bring an end to violence against women and girls. TFGM achieving that accreditation, that the combined authority already has it, signifies a real commitment at all levels to tackling this as an issue. I worked at Transport for London for 15 years, and I can tell you that the same discussions are happening at Transport for London. They're happening at Transport for West Midlands. Across the country, similar conversations are happening. But I think what I'm sensing is a huge commitment across the industry which is more than words, because white ribbon accreditation means that you have to evidence how at every stage of your decision-making as a transport authority and as an operator, you are taking into account the needs of of women and young girls uh, and of everybody's safety, uh, and particularly to tackle any form of gender-based violence. So that accreditation has meant that there has been all sorts of engagement workshops across Transport for Greater Manchester. So we've been able to bring people from our bus interchanges, from offices, from the local districts, and and to engage with people that are using local transport facilities to say, okay, here's the commitment. What does that mean in practice on the ground? And that might be all forms of, you know, all sorts of interventions like greater visibility, of police and of revenue inspectors, of confidence that the CCTV coverage is being monitored. It could be a number of things. But what's been great, I think, about White Ribbon Accreditation is it's bringing everybody together to have this conversation. And it's so important to actually have it because then we can take action. So the Mayor, Andy Burnham, has also launched the hashtag, is it okay, GM? And the idea is that people call other people out and um, recognise where they need to publicise the sorts of behaviour that need to be you know, eradicated, but also genuinely seen by the whole of society as being antisocial. Because if we can pull across the idea that we don't accept antisocial behaviour in this way, it's a little bit like when we try to tackle drink driving or the idea that we need to promote why smoking is so bad for our health and all of these other things. We, we need to recognise as a society we can't accept misogynistic comments, attacks on women and girls, those sorts of 
outbursts, if you like, that sort of bullying isn't an acceptable thing to do. And having respect for the the people around you in a in a public space on a bus is no different to, you know, on a street, in a tram. When you're in a confined space with strangers, it's even more important. And our primary schools teach this so much, but then there seems to be a gap at some point when that behaviour creeps into some people's lives and it becomes an accepted way to behave and it's rewarded by peers, if you like, and then that perpetuates the problem and then that group gets bigger and they go out looking for trouble or for ways to be antisocial and that antisocial behaviour is almost a, a status symbol or a something that gives them a bit of clout within a gang. And, you know, I've worked across the streets of Greater Manchester with different charities and different organisations for my, you know, entire adulthood since I was a teenager to find ways to engage with young people because the point at which they get involved with this sorts of behaviour is the point that we need to find those interventions. So this isn't just about what's happening and how we stop the behaviour. It's about the things that those young people could do instead. How do we engage with those people to give them something that means that they're they're not hanging out in that way, that they're not getting involved with those gangs, that they're not getting into the position of being in that position in the first place. And that's all of society's uh, responsibility because it's about young people's opportunities. It's about their their chances in life. And then that comes back to the idea, well, if your only opportunities are available, if you have access to a vehicle, then suddenly that you know removes the opportunities for whole swathes of our population who can't afford a vehicle. So we need to build the B network to enable people to be able to travel around without the need for a, a car um, because that enables them to access opportunities that they otherwise couldn't access and then they fall into gangs and into situations where they become part of the problem. So it's all connected. And when people say, well, why do we need the B network? It's so that everybody does have that chance to seek an opportunity that would be far more fruitful for them as individuals. So really it's that point of how we all live a good life. <laughs> yeah, the best Make it a great place to grow up, get on and, and grow old, which is what we want. You know, about 30% of people in, in Greater Manchester don't have access to a vehicle anyway. Having a, a decent public transport and affordable public transport network, you know, just broadens people's horizons. You you may well go for that job across the other side of town if you can get there for two pounds on a bus rather than four pounds. And feeling safe on those journeys is just fundamental to all of it. One of the things that often strikes me in this debate, though, is sometimes we have to just be a little bit careful that we don't demonise all young people here. It is the case that most crime and antisocial behaviour does turn out to be perpetrated by, by younger people, but it's not exclusively so. And many of the victims of that crime and antisocial behaviour are young people. So one of the things that I'm particularly pleased about with the Travel Safe Partnership is that proactivity in reaching out to young people who themselves are vulnerable in many cases to offer advice before they fall into the sorts of behaviours that Sarah just described. So I think it goes back to that point about being proactive and educating young people about what being a good user of public transport actually is and the consequences of crime and antisocial behaviour, both for them personally, but also to imagine how would they feel if it was their mum, their sister, their girlfriend, their, their wife, their partner, who's on the receiving end of some of this. If you ask yourself that question, 
you know, we're halfway along the line to a solution, I think. So there's a role for all of us in in calling it out. And sometimes, you know, people dismiss, don't they, as low level, some of the kind of day-to-day sexism on our streets and misogyny that creates, again, that culture and normalizes actually a kind of uh, violence against women and girls, which isn't okay. So there's a role for all of us. In terms of the, the kind of workforce, I guess, across transport, is there anything in particular that we're doing or anything more that you'd like to see happen that would support people to be, I guess, those active bystanders and allies in situations. So remember, when we talk about crime and antisocial behaviour, our own staff can be subject to it. That you know they're on the receiving end of a lot of it and need support too. So it's our customers and users who need our support, but it's also our hardworking staff. And the really important thing I think is that people don't put themselves in the way of harm, but we do communicate and give them the tools to be able to report things. Now, if you work for Transport for Greater Manchester, you will know how you can report incidents back into the control room, the 24-7 control room that operates across Transport for Greater Manchester. I think for our customers, the live chat facility, which is operated by Greater Manchester Police, is absolutely fantastic, where you can discreetly report something that you might observe happening in real time or that you you happen to have just seen. I think we can assure people that all of those reports are taken very seriously. There is a human being on the other end of live chat and those reports really help us to identify hotspots. And actually, you you may recall a couple of years ago, there was some uh, fantastic work between the Travel Safe Partnership, the Combined Authority and Oldham Council you know, that was found at that time to be a hotspot for crime and antisocial behaviour and a combination of what people were physically seeing on the ground and reporting led to a specific programme of work, both proactive and enforcement led, to deal with it. So I think it's really important that people feel confident in raising these, whether you're a customer or a member of our staff, and that they should have confidence that these reports will be taken seriously and acted upon. So as well as people have said that, you know, feeling that they can report and be confident that that will be acted on, um, we've heard a lot from people around the importance of a sense of community and how more people and more people that look like you and look like the diverse diversity of our population helped people to feel safe and that level of kind of social um, interaction and surveillance. So getting more people walking and cycling and wheeling, Sarah, is, is kind of key, isn't it, to actually our streets feeling safer and more joyful? Yeah, I think when we, we look at city centres, we're seeing higher footfall. And um, those are not the places where people are reporting feeling unsafe because there's a, a greater number of people around. And, you know, walking is the one thing that more people do than any other form of active travel, walking and wheeling. It's the journeys to and from public transport stops, bus stops, tram stops. Those are the journeys that people feel vulnerable on those are the journeys that we need to kind of uh, draw attention to is how do we is it a perceived danger you know is it is it a lit street is it a street where you're walking past a point where there are problems you know I I know from near where I live there's there's an issue down on the other side of the station actually and that's where the, the local police tend to focus some of their operations because there are groups who ironically come from inside Greater Manchester to outside of Greater Manchester to find things to to take home 
they've identified where they need to spend time and the sorts of times of day that that's happening. But if it's a, a commuter route where there's lots of people making that journey, you'll be a part of a throng and then it feels far safer. So you're absolutely right that having more people doing that, so that kind of comes back around full circle, is that the B network working helps to self-police some of this because there are more people around and you're more likely to make that journey. It's how we address things at the other sort of the, the shift workers, the people who are working nights. Those people are incredibly reliant on having a, a car, which means if they're in one of the lower paid jobs, if they're working in our nighttime economy, then they're not necessarily always going to have the means to afford a vehicle. So how do we make sure those people are feeling safe? Um, and if we're talking about, you know, having trams later on in the evening to enable people to utilize the nighttime economy, then the journeys they make home from each of those tram stops on that route need to have attention on them. Anything else from your perspective, Vernon, that you'd like to see happen that you think will address the sense of or perception of not being safe, and particularly, I guess, maybe at night time? We all know that, you know, sometimes if you're alone at a tram station and, and, and stuff like that, you know, you can feel uneasy. We need to address that. And we also need to address helping people that work in the nighttime economy. Sarah and I speak to Sasha a lot. And we are, we're all focused on getting people to and from work in the early hours. One of the things actually on Metrolink, some of the lines during COVID that used to run till about one o'clock in the morning, only run to about midnight uh, at the moment. Uh, and we're hoping uh, later on this year to, to be running again at one o'clock in the morning. Uh, and I think that will be a really positive sign of progress. And we also want to work with government on how we can make taxi and private hire be and feel safer, particularly for people who are travelling to and from work either really early in the morning or, or very late at night. Fantastic. So we're coming to the end of our time. So any final kind of aspirations of where what you'd like to see happen and where you'd like us to get to in the next few years? Well, when I launched the refresh mission for active travel within Greater Manchester, the key headline was universal accessibility. So that doesn't just speak to making sure that it's something people with disabilities and long-term health conditions that they have access to our public transport and active travel network, but also everybody, you know, regardless of, of your situation, you know, we have huge numbers of people who work in healthcare and social care and um, potentially on very low wages, working incredible shift patterns. I don't know how they manage and they underpin our society and make sure that, you know, people can have that dignity when they need that support and all sorts of times of day and night so those people are very important and women and girls make sure they feel safe but universal accessibility should be at the forefront of everybody's mind to make sure that greater manchester is a place that isn't just great to come to for sports but it's great to be here for every reason that there is fantastic any final calls to action or aspirations vernon i've got two well maybe three if I <laughs> go on then <laughs> We are all working really hard to improve public transport and active travel. And as we've just been discussing, sometimes the perception and feel of safety comes with more people using it. So we'll take all the actions that we've discussed here with the Travel Safe Partnership and designing in safety and, and having easy ways to report incidents. But I, I would ask people to give public transport a go, particularly from September when it's the first 
tranche of bus franchising uh, and there'll be brand new vehicles as part of the overall franchising plan which will have all of the buses in Greater Manchester within the Mayor's and Combined Authorities control by January 25. So please use us because I think the more people that use us, the more there'll be a feeling of safety and it will create that sort of virtuous cycle. The second thing is uh, that I would urge all men and boys to think about what they can do in terms of their behaviour to make women and young girls feel safer using public transport and active travel facilities. I think about it a lot and I'd, I'd urge them to join me in thinking about that. And the third thing is never be frightened of reporting. There are ways in which to report, discrete ways in which to report. Please tell us and I promise that we will take action. Thanks for listening to this active travel episode of the Right to the Streets edition of the GM Moving podcast. We've heard just some of the many ways people are working across Greater Manchester to create more people-friendly streets and places. And we've heard why we need to pay exquisite attention from start to finish to how we make these genuinely safe and accessible for all if we really want to create a culture of sustainable and active travel. And we've heard how we need to be proactive in our communication with men and boys so they can join us on this journey and in our movement for movement. The conversations highlighted once again that we all have a role to play to make our streets spaces where all women and girls can freely travel about. It's a societal issue, not just one for Transport for Greater Manchester. We've heard how supporting more people to walk, wheel and cycle make streets feel safer and more inviting for others. It increases our activity levels, reduces car dependency and congestion and carbon emissions, improves our air quality and helps build a sense of community. Enabling more people to swap short car journeys for more active and sustainable travel is good for people, place, our purses and the planet and is key to how we keep GM moving and create a greener, fairer and more prosperous city region. A massive thanks to everyone who's contributed to this episode. As this podcast is just to start the conversation, we'd love to hear more. The next time you go out, can you pinpoint the areas, places or spots that you feel safe or unsafe? Tell us about their characteristics. Is it a well-lit green street where you feel safe? Or is it a confusing pedestrian crossing or a dark alleyway or parked cars on the pavement? Whatever it is, let us know what impacts on your journeys and we'll share your thoughts on future episodes of this podcast. We've got a few ways you can get in touch. You can tell us on social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. Simply search GM Moving. Or you can leave us a voicemail. You can find the link to that in this episode's show notes and on our website, gmoving.co.uk. We'll be releasing more episodes throughout the next few months, so keep an eye on our social media pages for the next one. Or simply hit follow or subscribe on whatever podcast player you're listening to right now. This means the latest episode will go straight into your library as soon as it's released. 
This Right to the Streets podcast series is one element of the Right to the Streets project, led by Greater Sport, Trafford Council, Open Data Manchester and GM Moving Partners, thanks to Safer Streets funding from the Home Office. This series is a Mike Media production.